Our sermon passage this morning comes from John chapter 15. We are, um, over the, the last few weeks and into the next few weeks, we are looking at seven statements that Jesus makes about himself to reveal who he really is. So the series is called uh, I Am, Seven Statements by Jesus about Jesus. And today, we're going to look at one more of those statements. This one is found in John chapter 15. And so I want to read that passage for us now. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit fruit. Already you were clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit And that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So now, Father, I pray that you would speak your word to your people. Spirit of the living God, I pray that you would cause these words from the scripture to be heard, and to be received, and to be believed. Father, we need to hear from you today. We need to be reminded of your presence, of your love, of your compassion, of your power, and of your eternal purposes. 
So Lord, would you teach us these things today? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our sermon today is entitled, The True Vine. In this passage, Jesus is revealing to us, through a metaphor, that he is the true vine. And what this means for us today is Jesus is saying to his people, I have come to be for you what you can never be for yourself. I've come to stand as the cure for your disobedience and your spiritual failings and to bring to you everlasting life, hope, and fruitfulness. This is one of the key passages in the Scripture where it's displayed for us that what God calls us to do, God promises to help us do. What Jesus wants is for us to cling to Him. So let's look at the passage together and let's see how Jesus teaches us these things and let's see how Jesus gives us hope and let's see the life that He calls us to. So if you're taking notes this morning, um, the first point, the true vine. As with these I am statements, as with all of them, uh, Jesus is going to implore employee, he's going to use a metaphor to teach us about himself. And so the metaphor this time is one of a vine, a vine dresser, and branches. And so in this metaphor, Jesus says clearly, I am the vine. So Jesus is claiming to be um, divine, the, the true source of life. He's saying that the Father is the vine dresser. Um, we don't use that phrase, vine dresser, often, but we should think in terms of the, the farmer who tends to and cares for the vine to cause it to be as fruitful as possible. And we are the branches. Branches on the vine that are intended to bear much fruit. So, so Jesus is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. And the true followers of Jesus are the branches. So in the passage that I just read for you, verses 1 through 8 are this extended metaphor about the vine and the vine dresser. And verses 9 through 17 uh, give an explanation of the metaphor uh, so we can understand it better. So today we're going to see that, that Jesus comes to answer our spiritual failures with his own life through this metaphor of a vine and a vine dresser and the branches. Now, as with all of these statements, um, Jesus employs this, what we've called the I am formula. Verse 1, I am the true vine. 
And with this formula, um, it, it's rooted in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, and rooted in John chapter 8. Jesus is intentionally taking the name of God, intentionally taking the name of Yahweh, intentionally taking the name of the Father. God, God was asked by Moses, what is your name? He said, my name is I Am. And the subtlety could be missed except for how often Jesus used it. I am the vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. He's saying, I, I am God. And one of the, the unique contributions of this particular I am statement is Jesus is, is giving us this, this glimpse into what we in in the church and in Christian theology called the Trinity. Because we see Jesus saying, I am, I'm taking the divine name, but also I'm not the Father, who also is God. And so we see this idea of, 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 of a Father and of a Son, and then later of a Spirit who is God coming to bear. But with this formula, I am, Jesus is saying, I am God. And so this, this formula of the true vine, it's an extended metaphor. It uses this, this I am formula of, of God's divinity. And as with all of these, it rests deeply in Old Testament imagery. And this is really important. This is not so much about um, nerding out on, on Bible nerd stuff as much as it is about us seeing and understanding that when Jesus gave these I am statements, um, they weren't like pithy metaphors that caused people to sit down and go, hmm, I wonder what Jesus meant when he said, I am the true vine. But rather, he was speaking to a group of Jews using well-known Jewish metaphors from the Jewish scripture to claim something really important about who he is. And so in this one, the Old Testament is full of imagery where Israel, the, the, the chosen people of God, are pictured as the vine of the Lord. And not only are they pictured as the vine of the Lord, but ultimately they're seen as a failing vine because Israel has failed to accomplish its purpose and calling in spite of God's many blessings upon them. But throughout the scripture, we, we see these images of God's chosen people as a vine. So much so that scholars would teach us that the temple in Jerusalem, right over the entryway, was a picture of a large golden vine. As a picture of the hope of Israel as God's people. Two places you could look for this. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 8. And Psalm 80, Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, Psalm 80. I'm not going to read all of those for you, but I just want you to, to hear this imagery that would have been right on the front of the mind of Jesus' followers as he made this statement. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So hear that. Here's, here's a clear statement of God saying, Israel is my vineyard. 
Judah I have planted, and yet they have failed to bear the fruit that I desire for them to bear. Psalm 80, particularly verses 14 and 15. It's a a plea for God to restore and return His blessing to His people. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the Son whom you made strong for yourself. The Old Testament paints this picture of Israel as the vine of God. Jesus, or Israel as the fine, the vine of God, and Israel as a vine that has failed to bear the fruit in keeping with the blessing of God. So Israel would see itself as a vine that has not been productive. And so enter in what Jesus is now saying. You see yourself as a vine and one that has not been productive. So Jesus comes to that failure, that despair, that guilt, that fear, that shame, and He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. And if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Now we might read through this passage and see all the warnings about the the branch that doesn't bear fruit being cast away. About the branch that doesn't bear fruit being burned up. But Jesus' hearers, they knew that. That's what they feared. And so the gospel hope in this passage is Jesus entering in and saying, Listen, I see you, O dead branch, but I'm the vine. And from me you can have life and you can bear fruit. There is hope for you, O Israel. There is hope for you, O people of God, because I am the source of life. And I am the source of spiritual life. And I am the source of righting all the wrongs. And I'm the source of taking your failure and turning them into something that glorifies God. All you need is me. That's what Jesus is saying. So with this claim, what we see is Jesus again saying, I'm God. I'm no mere man. I'm no mere teacher. I'm God. What we see is Jesus offering a gracious response to the failings of Israel, saying, actually, Israel, you existed to prepare the way for me to be the vine. And we see Jesus saying, I've come to be the answer to your guilt and the answer to your shame and the answer to your fear. So if you're watching us today and stuck in a cycle of guilt, shame, or fear, feeling the weight of failing before God, feeling the weight of your own sin and your own rebellion, 
But what I want you to hear today is an invitation. Because when Jesus said, I am the true vine. What he's saying is there's hope for you. If you'll come to me. And so that leads to our second point. The branches. So the passage states clearly that Jesus is the true vine. The father is is the vine brancher, the vine dresser. And verse 5 reiterates, I am the vine, you are the branches. So who is the you here? The you here is the true followers of Jesus. Those who truly belong to Jesus. They're called the branches. And so, friend, you're a branch. You know, the life of Jesus doesn't give many metaphors to prop up our human power or strength. Um, we saw last week that we're just sheep, and we see this week that we're branches. And our vitality in life really depends on Christ. But I would argue that this lowered view of us is actually a helpful view of us. When Israel felt like it was the vine, then the life and the vitality, wrongly, they thought, depended on them. But if I'm just a branch, then the life and the vitality comes from the vine. All I'm called to do is to abide in the vine. So a lower view of self is actually, in this case, a freer view of self. So what does Jesus tell us about being branches? Let's walk through the passage and see what it says. Verse 3 tells us that Jesus makes us part of the vine. He says, already you were clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus is saying that we've been cleansed, we've been made alive, and we are part of the vine simply because we've heard his word and we've believed and we are connected to him. So if we take verse 3 and, and verse 13 at its face value, then what it's really driving home to us is that the most important reality about a person is this. Am I connected to Jesus Christ? Am I in Christ? The passage says that those who are in Christ are in Christ because he died for them. Because his word has made us clean. And because we trust him. It's Jesus that makes us a part of the vine. We couldn't do it. And we don't have to do it. Because Jesus 
has made us clean. Second, not only does Jesus make us a part of the vine, but he helps us bear much fruit. Jesus helps us bear much fruit. The passage begins, verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. But there, there's that, that, ah, but if I don't bear fruit, I'm going to be taken away. I don't know what to do. But we get to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so what we're seeing is that apart from Jesus, we're dead branches and we're going to get thrown away. But in Him, not only are we cleansed and we're given life, but He says that in Him, He enables us to bear much fruit. Hear, hear that, friends. The things that the Scripture calls us to do, God helps His children do. Believe in Christ. How do I do that? Ephesians 2 says that by grace, God gives us faith to believe. Bear much fruit. How do I do that? John 15 verse 5 says that if we abide in Jesus, He will enable us to bear much fruit. So those who abide in Christ, which means to continue or to remain or to cling to Him, He will help bear much fruit. Now we're going to discuss abiding in fruit more in just a minute. But for now, I just want you to see that Jesus helps His true followers bear much fruit. Third, Jesus answers our prayers for help. Particularly, he answers our prayers for help to bear much fruit. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So again, the, the connection point is, is abiding in Christ because the true followers abide in Christ. But it says that, that those who are Christ's, He'll answer our prayers for help. Now, ask whatever you wish. I don't believe means that Jesus becomes a genie in a bottle and we can get whatever we want, when we want it, however we want it. If that were so, I think I could script the prayer for most of us today. Make this virus go away. Get us out of this quarantine. Let our children see their friends. Now we should certainly pray those things, but it doesn't mean that God's obligated to grant them instantaneously because we ask. Particularly, I think what this passage is saying is cry out to the Lord about your longing for His grace and your longing for Him to bear much fruit through you and through your life and through your family and through our church. And He will grant that prayer because He is eager to do so.
Fourth, Jesus wants us to have joy in Him. Jesus wants us to have joy in Him. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. What Jesus wants is for us who know Him to find joy in Him. He says He takes His joy and shares it with us, and He wants our joy to be, to be full. And I know for a lot of us today, that feels difficult. Suffering, hardship, fracturing relationships, anxiety, depression, gloom, isolation. Where do I find my joy? I don't think that verse 11 says snap your finger and fake it. But verse 11 says, let me tell you where to look. You look to Jesus. Because by abiding in him, there's real, full and complete joy. So maybe some of us today just simply need to pray, Jesus, I need your help. Would you grant me joy? In you. Fifth. The passage tells us that Jesus died to purchase all of these things for us. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And again, as you spoke about earlier, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The Father is eager for His children to be fruitful. But what Jesus is saying is, I died for you so that you would be my friends. I died for you so that you would not just be mere servants, so that you would not be enemies, so that you would not be separated, so that you would not be far away, so that you would be part of the vine, so that you would bear much fruit, so that your prayers would be answered, and so that you could have a real, tangible, eternal joy that transcends wretched, horrible circumstances. I died that you would have this. Jesus died so that we could know the joy of resting in Him. Now quickly, all of those warning passages running through here, branches that don't bear fruit, cut off, cast out, burned up, we're just to remember that not everyone hanging out 
with the followers of Jesus truly belongs to him. Not everyone watching live streams on Sunday mornings belongs to him. In context of the passage, Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, has just betrayed Jesus. And while Jesus is teaching this in John 15, he's actually off giving Jesus over to be killed. So what the warning scream is run to Jesus because He's good. What the warning scream is don't settle for hanging around Jesus, but know Him. Believe in Him. See your need for Him. Cry out to Him. Trust Him. So I would just ask all of us today, is the, the, the identity marker that we carry I go to church, I'm a good person, I give, and all these type matters? Or is the identity marker that we carry, I'm a dead branch that Jesus has made alive and my hope comes from Him. If you have questions about who you are before Christ, you can, if you're willing, you can comment here in the feed and we'll engage with you. You can email me. My email is jamie at redeemertn.org. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. Last point, the fruit. There is this running theme throughout the passage that, that those who know Christ abide in Him and bear much fruit. So, so simply, if you know Christ, it is God's desire that you would abide in Christ and bear much fruit. So let's look at these and see exactly what it means. First, bear fruit. The phrase bear fruit is much debated. Is the fruit personal righteousness? Is the fruit personal holiness? Or is the fruit missional fruit, evangelistic fruit? I think the answer is yes. The fruit is that we keep Jesus' commandments. The fruit is that we learn to observe all that He commanded. Verse 2 and 8 says, All true branches will bear fruit. Verse 8 says that when we bear fruit, it honors God. Verse 10 says that, that bearing fruit is keeping His commandments. Verse 12 says that, that bearing fruit is loving one another. Verse 16 says that bearing fruit is to go out and bear fruit. And I think there it's appropriate to think of the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. True disciples, rooted in Christ, bear much fruit. So Christian, I just want you to believe that God desires that you bear much fruit. How do I do that? How do I do that? We pursue fruit through, second, abiding in Christ. That's the phrase from the passage, abide. <clears throat> the passage tells us that we're to abide in Christ. 
The passage tells us that in verse 9, we're to abide in Christ's love. The passage tells us in verse 7 that we're to abide in Christ's words. The passage tells us in verse 10 that we're to abide in Christ's commandments. But what abide means is to continue, to endure, and to await. But I think it's important that we understand that abiding is, is an active posture. I will cling to Jesus. One scholar, Colin Cruz, says it's probably best to understand abiding as to continue in fellowship to Jesus and in loyalty to Jesus. To abide is to say, I need you, Christ. I need your help, Christ. I'm going to look to you, Christ. I'm going to hear your word, Christ. I'm going to follow your word, Christ. I'm going to believe your word, Christ. I want to glorify you, Christ. I'm going to use my life to bear fruit, Christ. Now, Christ, would you help me? Because apart from you, I am nothing. To abide is to continually say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I belong to you. Jesus, you're my primary loyalty. And Jesus, I want to dwell in your presence. What I love about this definition of abiding is to continue in fellowship to Jesus and in loyalty to Jesus is that it really highlights the fact that we can't abide without spending time in the presence of Jesus. How do we do that? We do it in prayer. We do it in the Word. We do it in yielding our lives to His ways. We do it in asking Him to speak to us and to guide us and to shape us and to direct us. We continue in fellowship to Jesus by continuing to relate to Him. And here's what He says. He'll continue to relate to His people. He won't thwart us. He won't leave us alone and isolated. We abide in Jesus by continuing loyalty to Him. And here's what He says. He'll continue in loyalty to His people. The passage actually says that He chose us. He appointed us. He sent us. He's for us. Our victory is His victory. Our abundance is His abundance. Our breakthrough is His breakthrough. Our missional fruit is His missional fruit. So Christian, we abide in Jesus with a vision of bearing much fruit and He promises that He is with us and He will help us. So will you run to Jesus in fellowship and loyalty? Will you structure your life to this end? Will you use your quarantine to this end? Father, I pray now that you would speak your word to your people that we might bear much fruit. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.